Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Hi there, good morning. It is day eight of the Qatar World Cup, a tournament in which Argentina and Lionel Messi are still going strong. And the star in his last World Cup took center stage in that crucial 2-0 win over Mexico. I'm Adam Leventhal and this is The Athletic Football Podcast. So I'm joined poolside on this Sunday morning by Felipe Cardenas and a brand new colleague has entered the fray to cover the tournament. It is Charlotte Harper. Felipe, hello. Good morning. Good morning, Adam. And Charlotte. Hello. How are you? Settled in, hitting the ground running. Baptism of fire, I think that's what they call that. <laughs> First day, two games. It flew by yesterday. I don't know where 14 hours went. <laughs> <laughs> we will check in with both uh, Charlotte and Felipe in a moment's time. But let's um, begin with the events at the Lusail Stadium last night as Messi inspired Argentina to victory uh, with that goal and an assist as well. Remember, a defeat for Lionel Scaloni's side would have seen them exit the tournament at the group stage. The Athletics' Laura Williamson caught up with our Argentina writer, James Horncastle, immediately after the game. After their Saudi Arabia humiliation, the first step on the road to redemption for Argentina has been given to them by Lionel Messi. atmosphere and two moments that changed the game. What did you think of it, James? Well, a big relief, I think, for Argentina. You could see in Messi's celebration the energy that just ran through him that is just unburdened with all the tension. His teammates also just ran at him, jumped all over him. And it felt like the game was drifting at that stage. It felt like they were maybe not going to get a goal. They weren't going to win. It looked like they were going to go into that Poland game needing to score like three goals. Um, and instead they don't because as Emi Martinez, the goalkeeper, just said, life's easier when you have El Diez, number 10. <laughs> He'd done a lot of walking up until that point though, hadn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why it's quite special that it was about him tonight because I would say there was a lot of criticism, certainly in Argentina, but here... There is a lot of scrutiny of his his body language, uh, whether he was carrying an injury or not, um, had an ankle knock, calf issue. You know, we, we wrote about it how when he took his penalty in the opening game, he didn't want to hit it powerfully. It's quite tentative, um, and yet again, he scored in both World Cup games. <laughs> It's still messy. <laughs> still messy. And the second goal was beautifully taken as well, wasn't it? Yeah, again, him, he was involved. And it was, uh, it was good to see Enzo Fernandez come on and score. Fernandez 
Far too much room. Stunning finish. Not a bad first international goal for Enzo Fernandez. Weird. I mean, the changes that Scaloni made into the starting lineup, he brought in five new players. None of them really made a difference. And ultimately, after that first goal, I think it created an environment where the players who did come on, Julian Alvarez, Enzo Fernandez, kind of expressed themselves. And there wasn't that kind of weight and burden, that tension. And uh, yeah, we tipped Enzo Fernandez to be one of the uh, young stars of the tournament. So I'm really glad he's scored for just selfish purposes. It was great to see another full, like a genuinely full stadium and a, and a real atmosphere in there tonight. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, uh, again, you felt that the Mexico fans were getting on top of the Argentina ones for a while. They were, they were brilliant. Um, I mean, there was one moment where Messi had a free kick. He always scores free kicks. He didn't tonight. And that, again, just it kind of energised the Mexicans. So... You know, when Messi scored, it was just one big party for the last 15, 20 minutes. And, uh, yeah, the Argentines do have the best songs. So that was Laura Williamson and James Horncastle dissecting that huge victory for Argentina. Uh, as I mentioned before, Felipe and Charlotte are alongside me. Looking out to the uh, Doha skyline at the moment, I can see a huge building with Lionel Messi on the side of it, looking to the sky. It's a common thing, but he is the man that stands out amongst all the murals on this skyline, especially this morning, Felipe. It was the man, the moment it was expected, wasn't it, that he was going to play a key role? It was expected. Uh, I think there were some doubts, though, from the, uh, the Argentine side of, camp, of, the, of their camp. They, there was a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety with the prospect of them going out of the tournament if Mexico could could defeat them. Mexico has never defeated uh, Argentina in a World Cup in three tries. I think in 33 matches total, they've only won four times Mexico. So clearly it was a lopsided, there was a lopsided history. And it was really setting up for a heroic performance from Lionel Messi. We were just waiting to see if it would happen. And after 60, 62 minutes, uh, you know, Mexico's tactics were working. They sat back they were very defensive uh, intentionally, just trying to fluster the Argentines, and it was working. But the, the fatigue eventually played a big part. And all it takes is a few seconds of uh, magic from Lionel Messi, and that's what he did. That first goal really uh, released a lot of tension in that Argentine side. You could tell by the way he celebrated that goal. Mm. Uh, and not only that, uh, the, the stadium itself just erupted completely. It was the loudest stadium that I've been to since I've been here in Qatar. Uh, there was a time where I had to yell to the person sitting next to me just to have a conversation. Both fans were competing to be the loudest. Uh, but in the end, yes, the star was Lionel Messi, and it was great to see. There's a great angle of that Messi goal from an elevated position directly over the field looking down and you see the tiny channel that Messi ultimately had to score the goal. It was precision but he made it look just effortless and it was, it was great to see. I suppose there were some people that might have been watching that game thinking, you know what, for the shock value we want Mexico to win this yes. but for the tournament value you want Messi to stay in it. And you mentioned his emotions. He almost was 
as loud as the crowd, wasn't he, when he celebrated? Yes, and he was asked about that in the mix zone. He came down, which was an incredible experience. Like it, it's like the president coming, basically. Um, and he was asked immediately, like we had never seen, or not never, but we haven't seen you celebrate with so much fury. Was the word that sure. the reporter used? Uh, you know, where did that come from? And he talked about the difficult few days that this campus had. Like they, there was a lot of uh, fear that this team was going to be out. Uh, and I agree with you. Something that Tata Martino said, who was the Mexico coach and on match day, the day before the match, was that Messi only needs either 30 seconds or five minutes to put you away. And we have to be prepared for that. And that's what happened. Again, to repeat, like the fatigue of the Mexico players after so much intensity of those first few minutes, it just takes a couple minutes where you can't get to the player, you can't close down a player. And Messi took advantage. He saw it's, It was sort of a classic Messi goal. And even in person, to your point, Adam, it, it was a surprise. You didn't think, it just happened so so quickly. Yeah. And it, Mexico had been so well positioned that you didn't expect a goal of that nature. But it really broke Mexico's back, that goal from Lionel Messi. And from there, you just you could tell the moment that it shifted completely to the Argentine set. So you may remember England and the USA played at the Al Bight Stadium, and it takes ages to get back from that game due to the logistics. It's in the far north of uh, Qatar. It's the furthest north um, location. So we were back in the hotel around about 4 a.m. Now, you were at the Lusail Stadium, which isn't as far away, but you got back at 4 a.m. Why the delay? Well, first of all, because Lionel Messi was the man of the match, and so he had to speak in the press conference, uh, and that that was just a huge expectation to have Messi right in front of the cameras and the microphones. But also the win, uh, the way they celebrated in the dressing room, it, it took forever. Argentina, there are videos on, on online. You can go to Twitter, you can find them. They're dancing, they're chanting. Lionel Scaloni, the manager, is involved in the chanting. And Emmy Martinez, the goalkeeper, is up on a table. Uh, everyone is, has their shirts off, using them as flags to chant and, and to dance. It was like a huge moment for them, and it took forever for the players to come to the mix zone on the Argentina side. I had what I needed from the Mexico players fairly quickly. They were ready to leave the stadium. Uh, but as soon as we realized that this was a victory parade for, for Argentina, uh, it just took so long. So yes, like once, and then once we realized that there was the possibility that Lionel Messi was going to come into the mix zone, well, everyone was willing to wait a little bit longer. And to tell you the, tell you the truth, it was well worth waiting uh, to see the circus that is uh, anyone that tracks Lionel Messi. When he came in, I remember there's a, there's a wall between, uh, it was like a maze, the mix zone. So I'm standing somewhere, I don't see where the players enter. But all of a sudden you heard, like I heard a roar of, like imagine a hundred people asking a question all at once. And that was Messi's entrance. And then there were, instead of just two FIFA representatives sort of patrolling the mix zone, suddenly there were seven of them. Oh. Uh, and then they escorted Messi right in front of me and a, and a group of reporters who had camped out very, for a very long time. And we had our moment with the great little Messi. I know David Ornstein's been getting very annoyed about people wanting uh, selfies with, uh, with star names. So I imagine it was pretty similar. Well, yes. <laughs> and, and now there are signs inside the mix, mix zone that it. say, don't take photos, don't <laughs> yeah. take selfies, don't take videos. And I was leaving and I saw a FIFA representative uh, taking a picture <laughs> of a reporter's uh, credentials. And I heard him say, I told you no pictures. Oh, I, I thought like, you were wow, going to say you, you saw a FIFA official having a photo with no, Messi. No, okay, fine. They are very, okay. they're definitely policing the pictures right now. Uh, I want to ask you about Mexico in a moment, but Charlotte, from your point of view, 
uh, we watched the we watched the game last night in in a bar just near to the hotel. Um, the I suppose that the feeling in England because you've literally just arrived when it was looking as if Messi's tournament was hanging by a thread. What was the feeling sort of back at home, look, looking more of a sort of a global situation? I know there's that great rivalry between England and Argentina, but I guess even in England, there's that feeling that you, you still want Messi in the tournament. Definitely. I think their opening game was a shock to everyone, but you also thought, we don't want Messi out of the competition. We want to see the best player come to life and on the big stage. And that's what we got last night. And I know one of our colleagues, Luke Boscher, went to the match as yeah. a fan. And he's like, why would you miss that opportunity? Like, it's worth it. It's Lionel Messi. So absolutely, you still want to see the talent on show, even if it is your biggest rival. Felipe, on to Mexico. You talk about those magic moments with Argentina. It can happen. The flash. We saw the Enzo Fernandez goal, which we need to mention as well. Um, but with Mexico, there's a lot of endeavor, there's a lot of fight, there's a lot of needle, but no end product. That's the problem, right? That is the problem. No, no playmakers. You know, mm. no, no, there isn't a player that can break a, go a game open. Uh, there's a lot of speed, and they play direct, and they push their fullbacks high, and that's great. It's, it's, there's a lot of um, modern football to, to the way Mexico wants to play. Yeah. What happened last night surprised a lot of people. Tata Martino, their coach, always plays with one striker. It's, he's, he's just, that is his preference. He's been asked about like, why don't you play with two? Why don't you play with a front three? Why is your number nine always have to have the same profile? And yesterday against Argentina, he lined up in a 5-3-2. His two strikers were two wingers. He left all his number nines on the bench. So that tells you right away, like, who's going to finish. And the wingers were just running around by themselves. It was a very defensive formation. It was obviously a, uh, an intentional tactic to try to get out of this game unscathed. A draw would have been gold for Mexico because they thought, well, if we can draw against Mexico. Our final game is against Saudi Arabia. Yes, Saudi Arabia is a tough team. They defeated Argentina, but they like their chances. And so that's where that came from. What I learned in the, in the mixed zone is that the Argentina players were surprised by that. They expected a high-flying Mexico side, and they were a bit flustered by the compact, defensive uh, sort of man-marking of that first half. Uh, but in the end, it was at a cost for Mexico because they had no attack. The, you know, Ch Chucky Lozano, Irving Lozano, the Napoli winger, was battling you know, four defenders by himself. And Alexis Vega was out of gas by the 57th minute. So... Uh, it's, I think in Mexico, they are a bit surprised to have seen their team come out and, and play so defensively. But the problem of no goals of, of the chance creation is something that has lingered for some time now. And just a word on that goal from Fernandez. I mean, you probably wouldn't say it to Lionel Messi and his goal was, was amazing. But the Fernandez one was almost better, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, just because... Again, Argentina has, they're a very deep bench. They have, they have tons of players. And something that many people don't know is that Lionel Scaloni has never repeated a starting 11 in consecutive games. So he made five changes coming into this one. Obviously, it was an emergency situation. Uh, and a lot of people had Enzo Fernandez starting. Like, okay, he's, a, he's like a pit bull, a bulldog in the midfield, very technical, the right game for him. So it was, I, I was surprised to not see him, but he comes on. And he's this type of player that no stage is too too big for him. 
Uh, he was at River Plate, played well. Moves to Benfica. Is, he's in the Champions League and he's just having a, the time of his life. Comes on. And what I wrote on Twitter was like, wow, you know, now we know Enzo Fernandez can dance. <laughs> because this is a defensive midfielder that just completely froze Eric Gutierrez for Mexico with a bit of a scissor in the area, some hip, a hip shake, and then just a wonderful finish. And, and yes, Messi's goal was the goal that turned the game around, but this was the seal. This was like, okay, this is an Argentina performance that everyone was expecting. Yeah, Strictly Come Dancing is going on uh, <laughs> back at home in, uh, in England. And uh, yeah, that was very sort of reminiscent of that. Yeah, lovely little sidestep. And the group is so tight going into the, the final games now. Just if you're you know, waking up in the UK, you haven't quite caught it, uh, or wherever you are in the world, Poland top with four points, Argentina second with three, Saudi Arabia third with three. There's just that two goal differential uh, between Argentina and Saudi Arabia. And then Mexico uh, are bottom with one point, and it's Saudi Arabia against Mexico, and then Poland, Argentina, Wednesday, at 10 o'clock kickoff here in Qatar. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. And Anders again, Mbappé! Brilliant. Ah, oh, it's brilliant. Charlotte, we'll come on to the, the two games that you went to and get your take on, on those in a moment's time. But just your, your first impressions, having landed, obviously got straight to work. How are you feeling? Because obviously we've been here for a, a, a week now, sort of adapted to, to the tournament a bit, to the climate, etc., the working practice. I feel fresh, <laughs> which um, good. in comparison to some of our colleagues who have been here a week, perhaps um, it's relentless. You know, it's busy, uh, plenty to be working at. Um, the city is a veneer of shininess. I can't get away of the huge skyscrapers and everything seems new. New paint, new floors, vacuous at times. But beneath that, I'm constantly reminded of um, the migrant workers' issues that we've raised, LGBTQ plus women's rights issues. It was only after the France-Denmark game I was walking out. And that was another thing that has shocked me is the number of staff available. There is FIFA World Cup staff everywhere and extremely helpful, uh, extremely um, nice and, and friendly. Um, but I was talking to this man who, and uh, he was directing me to the metro and he was, I, he said, where are you from? I said, I'm from London. And I asked him where he's from and he said, I'm ne uh, Nepalese. Uh, he's been here four years. And then it was just, you know, having seen the brilliance of Mbappe and the football juxtaposed with this man who's come over from Nepal um, to work specifically to build the World Cup. And that is the impression as well, is that you cannot go um, around the city and not notice the World Cup. There yeah. is branding FIFA World Cup everywhere. So, yeah, those are my first impressions. Let's deal with the, the games that you, you went to. Um, Kylian Mbappe, there, there was a, a good social clip put out of Kylian Mbappe's um, initial attempts at goal and then ultimately how he finished 
the game. And there was quite a contrast. Um, he obviously took center stage, secured the victory against Denmark, and he's just quietly getting on with it whilst there's so much focus on, on Ronaldo due to his you know, Manchester United situation, obviously playing and scoring Messi against um, Mexico last night as well. He's just sort of ticking along and going, well, yeah, I've, I've got a World Cup in the bag as well, by the way. He really um, came alight yesterday, but it was, they were scruffy goals. Yeah. Scruffy, scrappy. I mean, the first one was deflected. Second one came off his thigh, mid-drift. But the actual uh, chances before that, you just saw this French team clicking. And it's the first time I've ever seen them in the flesh. And I think to really appreciate someone like Kylian Mbappe, you have to have that wide pan angle to see his movement off the ball, his turn of pace, transition. Um, and Didier Deschamps said in his press conference afterwards, you know, of course, Mbappe was the talking point with his two goals, but Didier was saying Mbappe is an exceptional player who plays an, ex an exceptional team. And so even his manager acknowledged his contribution, but was not one to big him up too much. I mean, Kylian Mbappe doesn't need that. You're... Um, addition to the athletic team out here as well brings with you your linguistic skills. I mean, Felipe, from his point of view, he's, he's a linguist himself. He can speak Spanish, which is, which is obviously a great thing for us. You can speak French as well. You would have been sort of in and around the, the, the players and the, obviously Didier Deschamps after the, after the game. Was there a feeling of quiet confidence amongst the, the French players, Deschamps, the journalists? Are they just almost sort of just striding their way through the tournament already. Uh, yeah, Didier Deschamps was quite prickly in his press conference. He was asked about the curse of um, reigning champions, World, mm. uh, World Cup champions not getting into the knockout stages. And he really kind of bit back and said, you know, you've got this narrative, uh, this curse over the reigning champions, and it's just not the case. Like, statistics are there to be contradicted, he said. So Deschamps was very measured, I would say, asked about whether he'd shake up the team for their final group game against Tunisia. He replied with, what, who, where, why, how? I don't know. So an interesting press conference to hear from him. Um, but I think what is scary is that this is almost a, a B team of France's attacking side. You haven't got... Um, all, over the, all over the pitch. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Not just their attacking side. No Benzema, no Pogba, no um, Angelo Kante. Uh, and, you know, Hernandez has just come out as well. But look at his brother, that combination with Mbappe last night as well, really, really ticked. So that was what was frightening, is that you still have um, Griezmann and Giroud. And, and Griezmann was such an intelligent player. And again, Didier Deschamps alluded to that. He said, OK, he may get fewer goals, but he's very selfless um, and, you know, really makes that attacking final third tick as well. And for people who aren't familiar with the, the, the French side in terms of um, their history of, of goal scoring, Olivier Giroud is closing in on the, the record, which might surprise a, a few people. He, he's, I mean, I suppose... It's almost similar to the, the French in this tournament, that they've sort of gone about their business whilst there's probably been a lot of focus elsewhere. He's just 
cracked on and he's closing in on the on the record but it, it wasn't his day yesterday that's an interesting one because first game everyone was saying Olivier Giroud he's underrated you know why haven't we paid him more attention um, was playing third tier French league football um, and had uh, risen to the top and yeah his opening game was superb but then again they then the focus then turns on Mbappe you know it might be Griezmann next but I think that's a reflection of the strength of the French um, side is that it's just not one player uh, leading the team. And again, Deschamps alluded to that, is that they have leaders everywhere, whether that's technical, mental, or you know, the vocal leaders as well. And he alluded to Kante, who's very quiet on the pitch, but a magician. And he doesn't need to say that much. And, and Mbappe is the same, he said. France are are through, they've got their, their six points. Um, you went to the other game yesterday, uh, Australia's win, narrow win over, over Tunisia. What was your take on, on how the Aussies are looking? And, and I suppose another element to the tournament as well, which maybe you might have missed as you were traveling over here is you know the, the impact of those Tunisia fans as well. The Tunisian fans were awesome. I'd really like to cover them in their final yeah. game because there was a sea of red and just yellow shirts sprinkled throughout the stadium. And they were, every time Australia got the ball, there was like piercing whistle sounds, like kind of uh, shrieking almost. Anytime the goalkeeper had it, anytime Australia had a corner. Um, and But th th it's not like ultras who kind of just have a barrage of noise throughout the game. They really go with the ebb and flow. And so as soon as Tunisia pick up the ball, there's cheerings. Um, it was, the Tunisian fans were absolutely brilliant. I spoke to some of them beforehand and they said every time Denmark in their first game uh, went on an attack, their heart was in their mouths. So they would have been disappointed with the result, but we're talking about Kylian Mbappe, um, Olivier Giroud, Griezmann, uh, and um, Australia have Mitchell Duke, where he's again another underrated player. And he had his moment. He's had a lot of sacrifice. Um, the first uh, second-tier division player to score in this World Cup. Uh, 31, his first World Cup and probably his last. And he was very, very emotional to get that header. And what a header it was. Like, the skill to get the accuracy and power. And that was the difference uh, for Australia. And that is only their third ever win at a World Cup. So the Australian press, the players were ecstatic. That was their, their World Cup trophy moment for them to get that win. And the, the Aussies, just classic Aussies, just saying, you know, we're just a decent bunch of guys trying to work really hard. And they grafted on the pitch and, and that's what got them the win. And they've got a great chance of, of going through. Uh, they take on Denmark in their final game, France against Tunisia. Uh, those games also on Wednesday, but those are the six o'clock kickoffs uh, here in Qatar. So that's uh, three o'clock uh, at home in the UK. Felipe, what time's that in the uh, in the States? Various time zones. It's an eight-hour difference for me. I'm still struggling. I have some days where I feel like I'm like, hey, this is fine. Then there are days you just nail the wall head first. So we're getting there. <laughs> we are getting there.
Just some other World Cup news lines to bring you and the Croatia boss Zlatko Dalic demanded respect from Canada after the Canadian coach John Herdman said his team would F them in their second group game. This is what Dalic uh, said. The Croatian team deserves respect from everyone. We deserve respect and dignity. We respect everyone equally. So we are worthy of their respect. The Canadians must also have respect for us. This way of putting words together is not a sign of respect. We are runners up. We deserve respect. And in more managerial drama, the Iran head coach Carlos Quiros has hit out at former Germany striker and BBC pundit Jurgen Klinsmann for his outrageous comments on the Iranian team, his words, and their supposed culture. This is what Klinsmann said. Carlos Queiroz, he fits really well the Iranian national team. And that's he struggled in South America. He failed with Colombia to qualify. Then he failed with Egypt to qualify as well. And then he went back right before the World Cup now and guided uh, Iran where he worked already for a long, long time. So, so this is not uh, by coincidence. This is all purposely. <laughs> this is just part of their culture. That's how they play it. And they work the referee. They, you saw the, the bench always jumping off, always working the fourth uh, lines, the linesman and the fourth referee on the yeah. sideline. Constantly and they're in their constantly in their ears. Um, they're constantly in your face on the field. I mean, uh, Kiefer Moore probably will tell you lots of stories after this game today. They had a lot of uh, little incidents uh, mm -hmm. that we did not even see out here. This, this is their culture and they, they kind of make you lose your focus, they make you lose your concentration and what's really important to you. And Kiros posted on social media quite a long uh, multi-tweet thread, ultimately calling uh, Jürgen Klinsmann out for showing a lack of respect, questioning his own character and also showing a huge lack of respect to the Iranian nation and calling into question their integrity. Uh, and his last paragraph of that tweet, it was interesting as well. It's an extra subplot to the story, I guess. Uh, at the same time, he says, we just want to follow with full attention what will be the decision of FIFA regarding your position, that's Jürgen Klinsmann, as a member of the Qatar 2022 Technical Study Group, because obviously we expect you to resign before you visit our camp. Carlos Quiros inviting Jürgen Klinsmann in that thread to actually join the Iranians and uh, yeah, try and experience things rather than making judgments from a distance. Uh, Felipe, from your point of view, it, it, was a, it was an interesting debate, but it's an important one to actually pull apart a bit, isn't it? Yes, because Klinsmann just relied on generalizations about culture and, and, and he really attacked it essentially every Central American country as well. There's a moment where he says, Costa Rica, Guatemala. Uh, remember, he was the U.S. men's national team coach for, for, for about four years, and he qualified through CONCACAF. And, and yeah, some of those environments are difficult because they are footballing environments, and, and they're they're heated World Cup qualifiers. And you know, we were talking before we recorded, yes, there's, there's, there are always conversations about dark arts and, and streetwise football. And, and, and perhaps there are other countries that are a little bit more skilled in that area or in football in general. Sometimes any country relies on those sort of tactics to, to, to gain an advantage. And so when Klinsman just made it sound like there are certain countries around the world that play a dirty style of football, uh, it certainly offended a lot of people. And, and this made news around the world. This was all over uh, U.S. Twitter as well because Klinsman is not... He did not leave the U.S. men's national team in, in good faith, really. And so every time he opens his mouth, uh, it, it becomes news. 
I thought Kiro's, uh, the way he responded was interesting. I didn't think he would respond like that. I figured he would be asked about this in a press conference later and perhaps address it uh, in, in, in his own style. Uh, but uh, essentially going to Twitter, to social media to, to, to amplify this issue was an interesting decision by Cato. So I think it was a good one as well. I, I think now uh, perhaps Klinsman will, will think twice before judging cultures and, and trying to turn it into a football conversation because that's not what it sounded like, honestly. Yeah. And it was a, it was a, obviously some broad issues that, that were raised in it, really important ones. But also, let's not forget, Jurgen Klinsmann knew, knew all about the dark arts oh, when yes. he, was, oh, he yes. was playing too. So it was maybe a little bit hypocritical of um, Jurgen Klinsmann. So that is the latest podcast edition done on this eighth day of the World Cup. It's Japan, Costa Rica, Belgium, Morocco, Croatia, Canada, and let's not forget Spain against Germany today as well. And we will react to all of those stories uh, on the next edition. How many games are you going to today, Charlotte? None. <laughs> ah, right. Okay. The calm after the storming first day that you've had. Charlotte, thank you. Felipe, thank you to you as well. Uh, for much more on all the stories reacting uh, to the issues on and off the field, the most comprehensive World Cup coverage around, uh, stay tuned, of course, to The Athletic. And if you want to subscribe, it's £1 a month for 12 months. That's our best offer of the year. Just simply go to theathletic.com forward slash football pod. We'll see you tomorrow. The Athletic.